Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the as the cuckoo clock just goes off, it's a good apropos beginning for the show. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles, the show that asks the question. So there you go. So what's the question? What question? I have no clue. <laughs> I am Ron Kolick, your host, and with me is that gold standard in ghost hunting by the Wall Street Journal, by the way, not just any old rag, Mr. Steve Parsons. And not once, but twice. How can it be gold standard twice? They did it twice. 20 whatever, and then two years later, in another edition. Three times a lady. Shut up. Get that right. Yeah, there's and our guest tonight, uh, the rock yeah. star parapsychologist himself. The singing voice of Cal. Dr. Callum Cooper. Callum Cooper. Brigadier Brackets Misses. Yeah, Hello. Is it Brigadier? Who are you, Richard Felix? Is that an English name, Callum? No, it's a Scottish name, but then it goes back to Latin. It comes from the word Columba, which means dove. Oh, that yeah. was good back to Caligula. Anyway, <laughs> I've got a couple of things that I have to have cleared up, and since I have two English gentlemen on the show. Well, don't forget that we have a reason for inviting Callum. Yeah, sure. in a second, in a second, I have to get yeah. these cleared up. These are important oh, things. God. First of yeah. all, the United Kingdom the is not the same as Great Britain. Yeah, whatever. What the yeah. hell is spotted dick? Pudding. It's something that you just mentioned that you needed our help getting cleared up. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a sponge pudding with raisins, sultanas, or currants in it. There's also a pudding called Granny's Ring as well. <laughs> called what? Yeah, Granny's ring. An eaten mess. Mm. And the other question, of course, burning question is, what the hell is mushy peas? Oh, you haven't had mushy peas? Got two tins in the cupboard right now. In the civilized world has. God, dear, oh dear. Um, Do you have marrow fat peas in America? What? There's a massive variety of peas, aren't there? It's probably sometimes when you go to the supermarket, when you look at... Yeah, no, no. There's petit pois and garden peas. Now, and... you see, we're talking, we're talking with America. Um, yeah, hello, America. There are more than one types of pea, <laughs> and there's more than one thing you can do with them as well. Mm-hmm. All right. In so, Britain, so what is in it? Britain? We have yes. two primary types of um, canned peas or fresh peas. Um, we have the what we call the garden pea, which is a pea. As it comes out of the pod. And we have the marrow fat pea, which is a pea that has been partially cooked. Now, a mushy pea is a variety of a sub variety of the marrow fat pea in that they have been mushed. And and you actually drink these. That's what I understand. No, 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 no. You serve them as a side vegetable, often accompanying fish and chips. With men, you you invite me on for these debates. 
<laughs> I don't know, Cal. I, 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 you know, you're the one who told me about mushy peas last time we were here. Cannot, you cannot have fish and chips without mushy peas. No. Or, a, like pickled it, uh, or a pickled like, egg. Yeah. That'll really flame. I, I like it around um, bonfire night and Halloween time when people yes. are going outside for bonfires and a you can have yeah you can have pots of mushy peas pots um, of mushy peas with some mint sauce in it that's yeah where I that's, like that's it. where yeah. I got it from Cal yeah. from you yeah that's what yeah. I heard but I thought no, it would be like a drink I didn't I didn't realize you no because it, it's too thick you need like a spoon in the cup or the mug it's whatever you've got of, it in yeah. I suppose it's kind of like pea soup isn't it just very, yeah. very thick it, pea soup ah oh, okay. Fair enough. Those questions have been it's answered. It's gorgeous, I have... though. Try it. Oh, no, I you can't. It's, don't have the, it's the hummus really of fort... the fish and chip, chip shop. Oh, yes, we, went to, to we went to one in New England once, oh. and they served fish and chips in newspaper, which oh, is something stuff. we don't do. Uh, <laughs> Cost last time I went to Ireland, they still did it in newspaper. That was nice. Yeah, only the outer layer wrappers. Mm-hmm. Who remembers the days when you get black fingers from doing that? <laughs> Yeah, you're not allowed to say that anymore. They're fingers of colour. <laughs> I was watching John Cleese being interviewed at Cornell University. It was making me howl with laughter when he was talking about um, far left wing attitudes and stuff like that. He was telling an anecdote and he got the dean there sat kind of giving him the questions. And he said, uh, I remember one of the times I was here, there were two girls in the audience. And actually, can you still say that? Is is that sexist? And he went, no, that's fine. It's not sexist. He says, you do have to be careful these days. My, fa- my, favorite, recent, yeah, my favorite recent one of those was um, a tweet that appeared by a social justice warrior. And it said, I quote, uh, plus size women are not attracted to overweight men. <laughs> now, you tell me that's not sexist. <laughs> Mm. Plus size women are not attracted to overweight men. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, so um, in the wording, my my dad used to work when he was uh, getting into the tech. It's too much spotted dick. Textile industry used to work in a tailor's, and the amount of people that came in requesting if they sold black men's socks. (laughs) (laughs) People still do it to this day. Um, No, no, they sell. we would know exactly what they meant. Yeah, yeah. Wow. yes, you would. You'd still get them, but um, no, they're, they're not yeah. made specifically. You'd get them now, but after you'd had a long, a long and stern dressing down, and then been sent on a diversity awareness course. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, anyway. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, well, we actually, in, we've been having a debate and a discussion on the subject of poltergeists for the mm. past couple of episodes, on and off, Why? in, Why? in Why? which rambling off on peas and other subjects. Why and, poltergeists? Uh, I don't know, he started it. Um, so I thought this would be a, a good time to get an academic perspective. Okay. So... We thought, do we know anybody that's academic, or should we just ask Cal? <laughs> so bad. You didn't have the funds. <laughs> yeah, we were going to fly you over and everything. We've got oh, the budget you know version. Bloody COVID this week. Guess for the first time, like you know, got invited um, mm. to spend. Sit down. Hold on to your seatbelts. Got invited. All expenses to go and investigate a pulp case in Mexico. Okay. 
and I'm not going. Because oh, I can't. <laughs> sure, you can go on a boat. Nope, we're not allowed out. No, can't. Um, at the moment, it's uh, frowned upon if you go to the next town yeah. without good reason. And even if you do, you have to isolate in a hotel at your own expense for a, ever. Yeah. Strange right. times. Strange times. Yeah, anyway, so I'm not going to Mexico. But anyway, poltergeists. What is poltergeist. the academic perspective on poltergeist cases? Oh, your perspective. Uh, I suppose <laughs> it, it would help if Got you... two PhDs. It'd help if you told me what you'd actually t- said in brief about them. I mean, when we... Can we have one cut... what we said about them? How well, long I'd, have I'd, you known us? He's trying oh, to be diplomatic. He's... We he, wants, he wants to know which which okay. one of us right. he should insult. That's all. Right. Well, basically, what we said was we talked about anything and everything except poltergeists, and periodically mentioned poltergeists. Mm. Pretty much. Uh, we re- we reached no conclusion other than that there is no conclusion that we could reach. Uh, we did agree that they don't only affect um, prepubescent people who bleed and have babies. No, they don't. Which is the new correct gender thing, I was assured, on a diversity lecture I watched. Um, no, honestly, that's genuine. Um, and that's why we thought we need an expert's opinion on this. Right. Well, we have one class each year um, in the taught module at the University of Northampton on poltergeists. Fortunately, I don't give it. David does, and it's probably something that I should have sat. Told should have got here. Should have got David. Should have got David. Yeah, but he didn't do but, the Battersea poltergeist, did he? No, but and I, he I isn't tweeting about it every thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> There's um, there are quite a few theories of poltergeist, and some of the ones that I think are more interesting, I cannot for the sake, um, cannot for the life of me remember right now. But some things that crop up that are quite interesting in terms of, uh, and certainly of interest to you, Steve, particularly because their environmental overlaps would be people that have looked at um, weather conditions and poltergeist activity. So one particular poltergeist case that I really quite like, predates Enfield, um, is the uh, Gyra ghost in Australia from 1921. And there was a poltergeist agent in that, um, which you, talk, you just mentioned that um, there has been the myth dispelled that um, the adolescents typically are the focal point of poltergeist phenomena. I mean, in, in this instance, there was a focal point. It was Minnie Bowen. But the same thing happened like with Enfield, that when she was taken away from the house where there was bangs and rock throwing and things like that, um, observers that went to the house still reported some of that kind of phenomena, but not to the extent as when she was present. Um, but they also had looked at um, thunderstorms around mm. that time as well. And there's a rise in activity when there was a thunderstorm occurring as well. So this also relates to other things as well that I like, like geomagnetic activity. So the explosions on the surface of the sun and um, that geomagnetic, geomagnetic activity reaching the earth mm. and what kind of influence that has on the reports of anomalous experiences during peaks as well. Mm. So people like David Luke, Serena, Ronnie Dougal, and Adrian Ryan, they've looked at those kinds of things. So there's an environmental overlap to them, people's experiences and what they're interpreting, when in fact it could be that there's some sometimes some very strange phenomena occurring because of things to do with weather cycles. 
Indeed. There's one. And um, well, the envir- the local environment is, I, I think, is is probably key in in many cases. Um, we did we in amongst our ramblings about poltergeist, we I think we'd also reached a conclusion that there was a high probability um, that what we were dealing with wasn't a specific type of case or manifestation, um, but rather something on a continuum with hauntings um, because of the the close over the close overlap of many aspects of both types of case. And I think uh, that being true, they um the idea that the local ambient environment and that includes the you know the the geo uh, forces that um also impinge on that location and interact with it are probably a predominant factor in the majority of of haunt and poltergeist uh, type cases Mm-hmm. No, I'd agree. Good. I'm, admit, I'm, I'm doing moment, a bit of, but I'm just waiting for him to jump in here. I'm doing a bit of cheating here. I'm actually looking at I... David's PowerPoint slides. <laughs> see uh, what I thought I thought you might have reached around and tried to uh, done a reach around and try and got hold of John Fraser's new book on Pulse. No, he hasn't sent me a free copy yet. So you uh, a, you're the only one that hasn't. Nobody's ever bought a copy. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't he sold a lot. single it's copy. He's given the lot. It's now at number one. That's why he's given them all away. <laughs> oh, bless him. Let's have a look here. Ron, your thoughts? I'm just having a look at some of the typical things that David puts up. No, this is interesting. I'm wondering Ron's, who you Ron's go to. busy Googling mushy peas at the moment. <laughs> he's watching but, YouTube videos. You've, you've seen, uh, and, and t- t- on that subject of the environment, uh, you've seen the one of the early draft uh, manuscripts um, of the new SPR publication that's going to be coming out later this year. And there are several references to the weather, to geo, um, environmental conditions, and the microclimate that also exists inside a location as a result of the exoclimate that, or the macroclimate that exists outside it. Mm-hmm. You know, the weather outside plays a very important uh, role in pr- the production of the microclimate that's inside a location, even mm-hmm. if it hasn't got a roof. Ooh. Or has got a roof. And I think, you know, that's something that you have to, I think it's often overlooked by investigators, um, you, you know, in their rush to make their EVPs and their astonishing um, OMG poltergeist live in graveyard and eat witch and satanic digestive biscuit appears. <laughs> You've seen steel ear and all the other rubbish. Um I think they just neglect the basics, the the very basics being the, you know, the environment. I mean, mm-hmm. if a haunting is a reality, then the cause must, must be by every definition must be either the building or the land upon which it stands or mm. the people who are inside it. What the cause must lie somewhere in that, little little grouping there's very few open spaces where people claim poltergeist activity i can only think of a couple ones not far from here's in sheffield called stocksbridge bypass which is well known i mean you you probably know it just from saying that you said it Um, rock rock throwing there as well well actually it's surprising the number of outdoor um 
locations were stone throwing or object throwing pine cones stones um fish no they don't get thrown they drop but there are there are i mean we actually were and there's even a case on the parascience website that that talks about um one example that took place in a, in a, a cheshire graveyard where small stones were periodically flung about um mm-hmm. Now, ordinarily, of course, you'd think, oh, squirrel threw it, bird dropped it, um, et cetera. But um, possibly, possibly, possibly they also threw fish. Let me talk you through these pen and pencils at the ready. I've I've got a breakdown taken from from the literature and um, surveys of some of the key features of poltergeist activity. Okay. Um, so, so first, we're just looking at this, the key features, the phenomenology, and I, I can move on in, in a tick to some of the um, psychological Who's slides are you using here? These are our Northampton ones. Right, okay. So we know who to blame. Um, David, yeah, because he's responsible for updating these particular ones. <laughs> um, duration. Um, the effects of poltergeist phenomena usually reoccur over a prolonged period. Typically, Sorry. yeah, effects reoccur over a prolonged period. Typically briefer duration than a haunting. Uh Focal point of activity in the majority of cases, 79% seems to focus on a particular person. Not necessarily saying adolescent, but a particular Mm -hmm. person. So that would also make me think of the Rosenheim poltergeist, where um, the secretary in Mm -hmm. particular, that was the focal point. Unpredictability um, seems to be a key feature (laughs) of the poltergeist phenomena. Um, Pure spontaneity there. Um, movement of objects. William Roll found recurrent movement of objects in 90% of cases. Mm-hmm. Gold and Cornell, Tony, um, Tony Cornell and Alan Gold, found that a third of the objects were large objects, sometimes warm to the touch. That was also found by David Fontana as well in some of his research on poltergeists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Um, trajectories. Um, so when things are thrown by poltergeists, it's usually quite odd and um, adds to the unusualness of it and makes you think, well, if that was done fraudulently, has someone done it? Because when someone witnesses the object in mid-flight, it usually has a zigzagging motion or could be seen partially hovering or floating and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes fragile objects that are involved in it can often be found unbroken, where you would expect if, say, the glass that was thrown across the room, it, you'd expect it to smash. Sometimes it could land and not smash. Or if it's just come off the table, it's actually land on the floor perfectly. And in a few cases as well, can be found to be aggressive. And that was one of Rogo's um, points as well. Rogo did two books on the poltergeist, mm-hmm. one called The Poltergeist Experience and the other one called On, on the Track of the Poltergeist. Um, there's more to the features, though. There's so many. No, but I'm, so, so, no I mean, yeah. What's interesting is, though, that some of them caught me, caught me slightly su- uh, surprised, mm-hmm. um, particularly the first one, well, um, which, which said that they are... Uh, prolonged effects reoccur over a prolonged period do you know that's the bit typically briefer than a haunting yeah one of the classics of a poltergeist case is it disappears very often very rapidly as in you know compared to a haunting you're talking a pulp case weeks months Mm -hmm. very rarely do they linger on you know past past you know into years Depends how you define a prolonged period, though. Because, exactly. you, you know, a, a ghost experience could be done and over within a well, second. Yeah, but I'm, talking a, about, you know, well, I'm talking about a haunting, not a ghost experience. Mm-hmm. But pulp cases tend to flare up 
um, suddenly and then tail off and disappear relatively quickly. As for reoccurrence, that is something that um, the the research doesn't really show or suggest. You could argue you, that once they're we, gone, they're gone. You could I mean, argue there was that. No re- sorry, go on. Go on. You could argue that two weeks is a prolonged period. Well, you know, if, you, if you're trying yeah. to monitor something or you're witnessing and reporting, that's. Uh, and we know sometimes poltergeists are more like, you know, they, they could be several months to a year. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so that that is a prolonged period. Well, yes, I suppose. But um, then there was the one about. Um, uh, but, 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 oh. Focal point of activity, unpredictability, no. movement um, of objects. Unpredictability is an interesting one because there's, there's actually some very interesting um, uh, case law that suggests that the pulp is actually quite suggestible. And that mm-hmm. one of the things that you always caution investigators about doing, and they found this out at Enfield, and they found it out at Battersea, and they found it out at the Runcorn and at, and at uh, East Drive in, up in all the Black Monk, that you the, the best thing you can is never to say anything in front of the homeowners in while or whilst you're in the property or within earshot of the of the pult, mm. because if you say, if you say something like, oh, do you know what? I fancy that this poltergeist hasn't yet thrown thrown any water about or set fire to anything, Mm. and it usually will. (laughs) Um, Well, that 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 shows the human element of it again with the the stability, and just link that to the Philip experiment with let's conjure up the ghost, but then whatever you're thinking and what whatever yeah yeah you want to happen next essentially will. Yeah. No. Absolutely. But. And the final thing is aggression, because one of the characteristics that Colin Wilson noted and, and was also noted by, by other pol- poltergeist researchers, including Guy, was the lack of aggression or the lack of any attempt to deliberately harm um, the, the witnesses. It would throw things at, around, close to, but would always seem to veer at the last minute. Um, occasional small items did do get through and do cause minor injuries but no major injuries can you know compared to the type of thing that's being flung around in some instances um the pulp seems to be it doesn't seem to be deliberately setting out to harm yeah um or at least that's that's my impression you know that's what that's my sort of takeaway very from... very rare cases i mean there was that one um the i've got the chap's, chap's name is um at the PA conferences um, a lot. Um, it was also written up by Barry Taff in Aliens Above and Ghosts Below, but about the essentially the case that they um, developed with the the Entity film. I mean that that mm-hmm. came from a genuine case where someone thought that they were being sexually assaulted and and actually being scratched and other things as well. It, it has happened in a few cases. I'm looking on this. Second oh, there will, list there, of, there will always be exceptions. Yeah. I suppose I mean, that Golden Cornell, even in 1979, they put it down to about 15% of cases um, were reporting some form of personal assault. Yes, I no, I I think we, I think there is a level um, that's almost in it, it's reported in in a lot of poltergeist type cases where things are thrown at people mm. in a way to where you know the impact is minor, um, you know, often well out of. Uh, um, 
context with the with the object being thrown or the trajectory of it the other thing that's that's interesting is um when you talk about the the trajectory once the the object is in flight yeah um there are two common features there i mean one almost never is the object seen to commence its flight no and the second is um whilst the laws of physics should dictate that the object once in flight uh, will follow a ballistic trajectory due to the laws of gravity um, they often don't although else they you know they are observed and have been reported many times to suddenly cease going you know following a trajectory and stop suddenly in midair and fall to the floor so is Which this just is, personal observation or is there actually no um, there, there is actually a lot of um well there's very few there's very little video and that's um that's one of the the problems because Tra- trajectory descriptions um here we've referenced rogo as having some of the the best kind of descriptions in his two books and then his other papers on on those and also mary rose barrington wrote a lot about um rock throwing poltergeists as well so there'll be descriptions in there about people's observations of the trajectory and the the mid-flight and then also the pickup when you go to pick up the item and then you know how does it feel does it have a strange smell to it anything like that you know burning smell or something yeah i mean if 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 we're relying primarily on on human observation then I don't, I'm not, I'm not oh, we got, oh, coming up to a break. Uh, it would seem that that would be totally conjectural because it, you know that we're not reliable as witnesses. But we accept witnesses in murder trials. Mm-hmm. I, I know and for the, the latest um, Bigelow essay competition, the, they accept eyewitness testimony in that because it's used in court. So they said that counts as evidence for life after death in the essay competition. Really? Oh, cool. I, I wouldn't have any problem about accepting. I mean, you have to, there are the obvious caveats that it is subjective and it is interpretive. Yes, depending but, from the angle where you are in the, the lighting of got, the room and everything else. I mean, yes, uh, also, an object could appear to change trajectory. well you've got mul- you've got accounts from Enf- enfield for example with with multiple witnesses seeing an object in flight and describing exactly the same weird trajectory chris brought this up today in a phd meeting where we're, we're talking to a candidate who's working with mediums and he said you've got to look at the full history and all the people that have been for readings and no one can kind of put this down to the the only reason people have having experiences or suggesting they're having a good reading is because they're undereducated there are many kind of well-qualified people and sceptical people that have not only had good readings from certain mediums, but they've witnessed poltergeist-type activity as well. So we can't say that every single person has just had really poor memory recall or just misremembered what they saw. And sometimes there's multiple witnesses there as well. In any, any attempt, we do have to take a break right now. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parsons and Cal Cooper right here on TojiNet and Pararex Radio, brought to you by our friends at Patreon, uh, Quinn Doobie, Craig DeGrout, Anna LaRoche, and Susan Brown. This show is brought to you by them. So have a great day, and we'll be right back after the following messages.
Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. Bonsoir, mesdames et messieurs. Welcome to, or bienvenue, to Ghost Chronicles International with your host over in New England, New England's finest, Van Helsink, Ron Kolak, Dr. Dr. Callum Cooper, parapsychologist, hello, hello. and it's your fault, you got, tw- you got two of the bastard things. <laughs> Jealous. <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely not. Bullshit. Jealous. He is. is he is. Is I guarantee you, Cal, he's jealous. He's not. He isn't. He is. He isn't. Uh, tries to put on his big... Under my wing, and we will get him a nice one. You can colour in. I told you. I'm I'm, I'm holding out for an honorary one. (laughs) You'll be holding out for a while. Yeah, well... Tony Robinson's got six now. He's still waiting for knighthood. Yeah. Anyway, and of course... Marching up and down that garden, ...in not having a PhD... And tonight's subject is mushy peas and poltergeists. Mm. Let mm. me give you some more features. I've got some more here and I've got some possible explanations, which is what you wanted from the psychological explanations and more Don't, as well. You, I, I, I want the academic take on it. I will. I will. I will. I will. These are all taken. Because if you're surveys. saying you to give me an explanation, because I can't give yeah. you an explanation. No, I know you can't, but that's why you're learning here. So listen up. And so I'll, hang on. Whoa, 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 Hey, this... you invited him on here. Let him speak. Uh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, but before sorry, we... sorry. This happens no, every time. Go ahead. Steve dominates the interview. No, I, I will just. Absolutely... I just think there's a. I just think there's a touch of parapsychologyism going on here. I may have to uh, yeah, dump him from the <laughs> thing. <laughs> Going to hang up on him in a second. My fingers on the button. I don't care. <laughs> go, go ahead, Cal. An early night. Good. Check to see. Objects, more features, objects, money and keys. Um, there are occurrences with poltergeists of money and keys and other small objects appearing and disappearing elsewhere. You have people like Mary Rose Barrington who like to write about this. She called them jots, meaning just one of those things about the appearance and uh, disappearance and reappearance of certain items. 
I think one of the cases that I always like about this um, is one that Harry Price looked at very closely, the account of Eleanor Zugan, who is known as the Romanian devil girl. Um, so in certain seances, she'd be sat out there. Her. Sorry? I went out with her. Did you? Well, there you go. <laughs> Dated she, her. Um, bless you. Um, <laughs> in Jerry seances went. that Harry, Harry held, um, people were invited along. And um, they would, I, I think some of the sitters that were involved would be asked, wherever they come from, they come from all over the UK, um, if there were certain items that they once had that they would like to be refound. Um, and so interesting ones of engagement rings going missing. And so since then, you know, another one had been bought and was worn. Um, but they would ask Eleanor while she was in a trance to um, look for these items. Mrs. Smith has lost her engagement ring. Can you find it, please? She goes into a bit of a trance and the sitters hear something drop in the room in one of the far corners. And lo and behold, the item appears. Um, another thing that would happen with her, though, That's related cool. to these assaults, is they'd all be sat around just chatting about her phenomena and um, not even involved in a particular seance. And all of a sudden she'd scream out loud. And, and say, the devil, the devil, it's got me. And they'd roll up her sleeves and there'd be fresh bite marks on her arm. Um, so very interesting case with those particular features. She was actually adopted by a, a countess who was a member of the SPR. Steve, you might know more than me because you being a Harry Price fan, you might know more about what actually became of Eleanor. Do you, do you know what um, actually happened? No, I, I guess the activity eventually seized and it, it did. Away. Um, I, I know off the top of my head, I'd be I'd be forced into guessing as well. I, I know where the Perfect. information is, but um, no, I'd be guessing. And I don't really um, it's not really the right time to go scrabbling around looking for a page in a book. Nope. OK, well, there's an interesting, very unique poltergeist agent um, with the appearance um, and disappearance of objects. Cursive noises, banging, tapping, scratching occurs. Um, sometimes it can be responsive as well, David Fontana, but particularly Bar Barry Colvin. Do check out his chapter in the book Paracoustics, highly recommended. Um, fires, Golden Cornell, 11% of cases seem to contain spontaneous fires, even happened in Enfield, um, uniquely to some of the flowers in the kitchen that weren't even dried out. They were fresh flowers, and yet some of the petals and leaves would be found scorched. Um, spontaneous occurrence of this as well, um, especially if people are generating it, is known as pyrokinesis. Um, water occurring, people like Colin Wilson had written about this, and I think in some places Guy Playfair had written about water, puddles of water. Um, so much so that Stephen Volk, when he wrote Ghost Watch, um, some of that kind of activity is written into this alleged poltergeist that they're following on the slideshow, where the there'd be pools of water appearing in the family mm -hmm. home on the, on the carpet. Well, that was um, actually so the very first appearance at um, the Pontefract case, was pools the of pools of water on the kitchen floor. And as fast as they were mopping them up, uh, in fact, they even started to pull up the linoleum because they thought it was coming up from underneath. Mm. And um, that, is, uh, that was the very first characteristic, which doesn't appear as much at Enfield, which is always the one that's, suggested as being the primary um case behind ghost watch but actually it's it's really a blending of probably the the pontefract case with elements of uh of enfield yeah we have a famous uh case in, in methuen here in, in modern times with, that occurred uh with water uh spreading out of the wall that 
it would just sprout out of the wall and they had the city had engineers coming in looking for sources and they couldn't the family moved to another location in lawrence and, and the new house had the same phenomena as well that's also sometimes associated with religious phenomena as well isn't it water yeah yeah it reminds the appearance, me, yeah, the, the appearance the, the of we, holy we water statues. or bleeding statues oh yeah yeah okay statues. It also uh, reminds me that's a little bit different than water, but yeah, okay. No, no, I Even mean, there are actually several uh, spontaneous examples of holy water um, emanating from, from the wall. In fact, there's a shrine in, in Southern Ireland, in the Republic of Ireland, where that is why there's a shrine there, because somebody tapped a staff on the wall and a spring shot forth out of the wall yeah. and has been running ever since. Yeah, we've had statues cry and and other things like that. But this is a little different phenomena than the religious, I think. It's more, to me anyways. It, it, it also makes me, again, even though it's not water, it makes me think of the, is it called the Belmiers or Belmez faces that kept appearing in the floor? Oh, yeah, yeah. And and they they thought it was something to do with moisture. They tried covering the floor with plastic. They'd uh, plastic sheets. They'd chipped out some of these. Is that, of the, it was, that was in the kitchen, right? Uh, yeah, it's something like that. It's one particular room in this house, and it had extensive study. I remember, I, I think I vetted one of the papers for it when I was chairing the Parapsychological Association conference in Athens. Oh, wow. And it, it was one paper that was presented there, where one parapsychologist had actually revisited it and, and looked at all the evidence. It was highly compelling. It's really interesting. It, it ended up Jack handling the floor up and everything. If I yeah, remember, they, if they, yeah, they if we're talking about the Put new stuff down, still kept occurring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Um, Reminds me of a case we where we looked at in Scotland, um, where there was supposed to be a blood stain on the floor that was uncleanable. It was a, it marked the spot of a murder. Very famous case. It's up at Fivey Castle, and um, the story is that that's the place that where the guy the, that was killed by the roundheads. Uh, no, no, no. This was where somebody killed the the child was killed. It's always oh, okay. the child that's killed. Um, but there's a, there's a um, supposedly a spot of blood on the floor, a pool of blood on the floor that can, that can never be removed or cleansed, and every attempt to makes it come back again. Funniest thing, wasn't there when we were there? Yeah, <laughs> it disappeared. Amazing what bleach can do. But yeah, but. But well, we we um, maybe because we arrived with a bottle of luminol, <laughs> <laughs> uh, intending to test this stain to det- to determine whether in fact it was blood, be or whether it was something you know uh, other that had been poured onto or was leaking from. Because I was in West Wales, we have the bleeding yew trees, which are world famous, um, attracting you know religious tourists from from far and wide to see these trees, which is just actually the red sap that comes out of the tree. So um, we we set off to this Scottish castle armed with a bottle of luminol. We will find out whether it is a genuine bloodstain. And blow me, it's gone. <laughs> now, but, uh... I, I know how, that. How unlucky uh, is that? It's been yeah. there for four hundred years. <laughs> yeah. Well, see what you did. Anyways, um, Mark Nesbeth in Gettysburg has a, a real interesting case where he he's a caretaker. At, well, he, he's part of the board uh, of a farm that's in Gettysburg that the uh, house was used for uh, operating, like every building in there. But you can actually see like the blood prints in the sh- the floor and everything. But uh, one day he received a call from the caretaker. He says, Mark, you got to come down. And he came down and it was this 
uh, reddish, rusty colored liquid in the floor. And uh, he photographed it, videotaped it, uh, took a sample of it and everything else. And, and after about a half hour or so, he left. And on the way back home, he got a call from the caretaker. He said, come back again. And he came back. And it was completely gone. In fact, the floor was like not disturbed at all. It still had like a fine layer of dust on it. And uh, but this, he had luckily taken the sample, and he went and ran out to the car to check out if he still had the sample, and, and he did. And he did have it analyzed. So it came back from uh, as human blood. But you, I've seen the photographs of it. It's, it's intriguing, but it just totally disappeared. Is is that poltergeist case, or is that entirely something different? I mean, are we are we talking just a phenomena? Or are we talking in a particular case? Um, with the blood that disappears, I mean, that's akin to the religious apparitions, isn't it? Yeah, mm. it is. The bleeding yeah. statues. Exactly. And it's an isolated one-off kind of instance. It reminds me more of Jots and just one of those things, an appearance and disappearance, rather than a variety of things going on. I mean, what I've been listing here with the features, um, there's usually at least one or two aspects that you will get when someone's living in and around poltergeist phenomena and not just one one particular thing going on so you know what have i mentioned so far i've mentioned fires water yeah. objects the the throwing um focal points people the duration trajectory of objects well yeah that's that was one of the last things i was going to come to david fontana talked about right. those they are they are reported within cases but rarely so but they still nevertheless a feature known to go hand in hand and um communication with the poltergeist as well mm -hmm. So William Roll, when he was writing about the poltergeist, he looked at 116 cases and found that in 47, people had allegedly established contact with the poltergeist. Well, that's true of Cock Lane. That's true of Enfield. That's true Bell of um, Bell the Bell Witch. Jeff. If well, about Jeff Borley. The, the writing on the wall was responsive to questions, wasn't it? It was. And Borley does have all the characteristics of a poltergeist case, which Price Price never referred to it in any other terms. Price always referred no. to Borley as a poltergeist case. In fact, he referred to any type of haunting where there was a physical manifestation um, or object movement or displacement as a poltergeist. And this is something we, we were talking about last week about this yeah, continuum. So is poltergeist really a phenomenon rather than an entity well I, I i i tend towards that we're just dealing with a continuum and mm -hmm. the you know what price what price called ghosts and hauntings um he he tended to refer be referring to cases of your silent lady um or or headless figure drifting noiselessly down the corridor and not interacting but in any case where um like his very first one the schoolboy case where he blew the thing to pieces huh. um and others wherever there was movement displacement or noise um he he always referred to the case as a poltergeist case i i think with the consideration of an entity that's one of the last things you want to consider there's there's all these features to kind of find, map out. Does it include any of these? Uh, and then to some extent, I mean, looking at some of these dates as well, it's showing that there really is a big call out for someone to do some some good modern day surveys on this and look at any more recent case and compare I them. I thought to John all. Fraser had done exactly that in his free book. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in terms of the peer review papers and, you know, getting them out there at as many conferences as possible so people can see the update. A lot of these are 70s things. But then again, I, I still think Golden Cornell's book 
is a fantastic. I, would, I think, yeah. I mean, it is um, along with a couple of others from that era. Um, mm. I don't think there's been anything. Hopefully, John's not listening. Um, yeah, he, is, he I don't, listens every week. Yeah, I don't think that there has been yet a book that surpasses Gould and Cornell's work on the no. on the subject. No. Um, um, a lot of the stats have come from this. So, I mean, um, I, although I Colin that... Colin Wilson's book Poltergeist is actually not so bad. Yeah, I don't think that's so bad. Um, I mean, let's have a look. What ones can we recommend? There's, um, oh, there was Harold Carrington. That was a good one. That was um, the story Sach- of the poltergeist oh, oh, down through the centuries. Sach- Sacherel Sitch, this, yeah, yeah. Can't say his flaming name. With Nandor Fodor. Oh, no, no, no. There's one that almost never gets a mention. Um, hang on, if I can. A Ghosts uh, and Spirits Walking by Night. Yeah. Lois Lovata. No. Are we oh, actually, I thought we said we weren't going to compare like bookcases. Sacherel. I didn't start this. Sitwell. Sitwell's book, Poltergeists. There's uh, a good one by Paul. I can't Cropper's. even say his name. Oh, you mean the Humpty Doo, Humpty Dumpty Australian oh, one? Yeah, Australian poltergeist. Actually, Darren Paul Ritson's Cropper. book is is you know um, a good a good um, case file of a poltergeist haunting. Mm-hmm. You see, do you call it a manif- poltergeist manifestation or outbreak or? Well, it, yeah, I mean, both nowadays are, are true. I mean, it manifests, and then, I mean, yeah, I think outbreaks are more, more kind of appropriate when all of a sudden the activity is everywhere, I suppose, with... Um, I don't know, because I think out manifestation, I think, plays towards this modern trend to view the poltergeist as something demonic and um, oh, malevolent, mm. which which is, let's be honest, I mean, that's, that's a relatively new thing in the last, well... <sighs> 10 15 years because before mm-hmm. that poltergeist were just irritating it's like having a bad pet yes um, or a wife yeah <laughs> and you have an invisible cat in your house that's set about destroying everything you've got um but now yeah, i think if we use the word manifest i think you play towards that malevolent fashion for the poltergeist mm. case um i think poltergeist haunting is actually not a bad one because they do haunt in the traditional sense um the same as my wife haunts me um and my children haunt me and even the cat haunts me because it's sitting outside, it's... it's sitting outside the office at the moment scratching at the door trying to get in if it's seen as an irritant, I suppose you could call it a, a haunt hemorrhoid or something like that. Yeah, I like that's that it. one. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, haunt haunt hemorrhoid. Yeah, haunt hemo. Haunt hemo. Hemo hemo haunt us. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Let me give you some more stats. Yeah, uh, yes, please do. Six. We're going down the wrong path. I like being educated by parapsychologists. Sixty-one percent of cases, agents were found to be female. Um, Alan Gould and Cornell in an update just a couple of years later they found very similar um, just about 10% difference really in their survey Mean Age um, by William Roll 13 years and Gould and Cornell found that 70% of the agents involved were under 20 Social contexts have been questioned so um, what's going on with the family dynamics if the family's actually reported the phenomena and I do know that um, Rogo did do a really good paper in the Journal of the SPR on this 
um, about the the dynamics of families and when and why they report poltergeist phenomena and what's going on. Um, in some of these instances, though, when people have questioned the family dynamics, some of the poltergeist occurrences had actually started when no one was at home. Um, so William Roll puts um, of those less than 18 in his survey, 62 percent were living away from home when the disturbances actually began. So it can't be blamed on the family in the first instance because no one was there. It was more if so no like a break, there, break in. Who- if no one was there, who observed the phenomena? I think it's more so that people had heard some disturbances on the inside ah, or say you've right. got a home sitter that goes in and finds, oh, God, oh. everything's fallen down. It looks like there's been a break in, but there's no evidence of a break in in terms of windows and doors. The activity is occurring from the inside, um, but no one's there. So that's quite interesting. Well, what is interesting about that is because if you apply that idea of a continuum, um then it, one of the things that it always classifies particularly you know with a ghost case is that you you're trying to find the objective verification of the subjective experience and if you just find oh look the temperature dropped um but without anybody who was there at the time saying that they had an unusual anomalous paranormal experience as the temperature dropped then we just have the temperature drop. Mm-hmm. But what but what you're suggesting from that um, poltergeist data is that, in fact, the temperature drop itself may be anomalous, irrespective of the witness perceiving the event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Is, is that my takeaway from that? Um, I guess so. I'd go along with it. Yeah. Just, just being educated. No, actually, yeah. I mean, yeah, because we it is an important question. It's 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 the old does a you know a tree falls in the forest, the, the blah, 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 no one blah, runs yeah. the next hand, blah 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 yeah, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. yeah, and you know, can you get mushy peas with that? Mm. But but you know, can a ghost haunt a house without a witness being there to see the ghost haunting the house? Yeah, and I, I would personally say um, with the apparitions more so if it's, if we're only boiling it down to apparitional experiences. Then no, I, I think an apparition to witness a ghost is that the key thing is to be experiencing it. You have to be there. It's the human senses that are important in building that picture. Um, hence why we've got no good footage in comparison to all these eyewitness testimony of a ghost. But when it comes to poltergeist activity, that's a, a clear manipulation and movement of either objects or manipulation of electrical items. So they are say. very much physical events that can be seen. And if someone is passing a house and sees the lights flashing or they hear a loud bang on the inside, mm-hmm. um, it's true, they're not inside the house, but they're still a living person outside witnessing. Mm-hmm. But if that's occurring, then you can set up a camera and that sh- stuff should be recorded. And, a- and well, this brings us on to the next point, because it is being recorded, apparently. And if you go onto YouTube, you will see hundreds and hundreds of videos that show spontaneous, apparent spontaneous object movement, kitchen doors opening and closing. There's mm. one that's doing the round on Facebook at the moment with the two women in the Ouija board and the wine glass shoots across and the yeah. door opens and things are moving about. But uh, have we, have, I mean, this is entirely a different debate, but is the evidence there, but we're now conditioned because of the electronic or the digital format of the of the media to just completely disregard it you know the evidence might be that, that, that might be there but 
the ease by which it can be manipulated has rendered it unreliable. Oh, of course. I wrote about this ages ago about moving the goalpost, though, in terms of what would be acceptable evidence for catching something like poltergeist phenomena on camera. And and then it was, well, you know, a couple of researchers film it, you know, you, you know, let, let's say all three of us film it together and then we show it to Anne and Anne's got some extra questions about it. And so we say, well, come along with us and you can, you know, we'll f- film some fresh footage with you. So four of us have now been there and filmed it as well with multiple cameras. We show mm-hmm. it to the next person. They'll probably ask similar questions to Anne and an extra one. So we take you'll forever be moving the goalposts with some some of the things like that. Um, but still, nevertheless, I'm pretty certain you can record stuff like that. There have been instances where it's been recorded. Even with Enfield, they had a go with what they had. They had flash oh, cameras. Oh, yeah, the, 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 and, and, um, Pi, the Pi video con system, that yes. very rudimentary video camera uh, yeah. system that was being used. But in one of the uh, – it's a separate debate, which we can't have tonight, unfortunately, but it does bring us on to the reliability of the evidence because you look at these videos and you see the you know the two women currently. I'm sure everybody, all the listeners have seen it. It's going around Facebook virally at the moment. And, um, you know, at first glance, they're on a glass table, the wine glass. There's no obvious means of that it's being moved or touched or – or caused to, I mean, the planchette moves and then the wine glass moves and then eventually the wine glass gets flung across in violent fashion. Now, if I'd captured it on one of our cameras, you know, you'd be mightily impressed. But when, you, when, when you're looking at somebody else's footage, the first thing is you go, somebody's been busy with the video editing or somebody's been busy with Photoshop. I think we, we've reached the stage now where the the, the devices Are you that a should... Are photographic expert? <laughs> well, <laughs> am I? No, is it, I, I was quoting Morris Grove oh, there. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> Ver, well, versus I, Chris French. <laughs> oh, yes. Are yeah. you a photographic expert? No, I'm an anomalous... Well, what was he back then? Was he an anomalist? Was he an anomalous phenomenologist back then? Who, Morris or Chris? Chris. Or oh, Chris, I think, was just a, just went by psychologist, I think, or skeptic. Who knows? Because know. he he stopped being a parapsychologist, didn't he? Oh, he's still amongst us. He's still amongst us. No, let, but let he doesn't. Me... He doesn't use the title, does he? No, no. no. But is no. he likes to but be anomalistic. He's... Anomalistic. To, well, there's three branches essentially to parapsychology. You've got the clinical parapsychology, you've got parapsychology itself, and anomalistic psychology. But they're and all f- intertwined. Uh, you have para- uh, phenomenology. Phenomenology, but phenomenology occurs with the, in all aspects of those three. It's yes, but Anne per- is specifically a phenomenologist who likes to map the phenomena. <laughs> essentially that's what phenomenology is it's well you know, yeah, I, I, I beg to differ but but you know your your colleague parapsychologist refers to herself as a phenomenologist i, I don't deny that i'm just saying what <laughs> phenomenology is i know that's what you say it is i'm sure Anne might might say it's different she's welcome to i wouldn't um, argue with Anne. i've learned not to well, <laughs> <laughs> i'm not brave the, enough the on your head let me go wrap it up last few things so um, misinterpretation natural causes heating plumbing electrical systems structural faults insects and rodents small boys you missed out small boys yep small boys geophysical forces gordon cornell they looked at their house shaking experiment as well check out their book um but can this explain agents involved 
Um, fraud seemed to be consistent in about 8% of cases that Gordon Cornell, uh, Gordon Cornell looked at, 16% was uh, role. Hallucinations are people just hallucinating the poltergeist ultimately. Um, but what about the physical effects? Again, Ron, is this show it? sponsored by anybody? So much we're done. Uh, Ginster's pastors. <laughs> <laughs> no, we always complain that we never give him time to mention the, the, the important sponsors of the show. Anyways, sausage rolls. So <laughs> with mushy with, peas. With mushy peas. And Cal, then after that, you can look at entities. You can look at entities. Cal, Cal, what is your final take on on Poltergeist? Um, that um, even though there was some fantastic research by, as I've mentioned loads of times, Roll Golden Cornell. That was what's the your take on it? I think um, it's an interesting phenomena, especially with the physical effects. There's something going on there in terms of processes we need to learn more about, and therefore we need some um, rigorous present-day research. Someone that's actually that, like that, Anne was doing should... with the EVP stuff. And um, we need that with the, the poltergeist right now. Someone just primarily doing that and nothing else. Well, there you go. So our guest today has been uh, Dr. Dr. Callum Cooper. Uh, Cal, where can people find out more about you? Twitter at Callum E. Cooper or go to my website, www.callumecooper.com. You have been listening to Ghost Chronicles International, Steve Fassen, Ron Kolick, our special guest, Callum Cooper, right here on Tojanet and Pararex Radio, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrick Street, Methuen, Massachusetts, the Galant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North End of Massachusetts, and our good friends on Patreon. Good night. God bless. Stay safe. God bless. Thank you, Cal. Sponsored by Jurex. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.